Let's pray. We're going to jump right into Exodus chapter 7. Father, we come before you, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, you who will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. Father, help us to see this. Help us to understand that um, just as Moses uh, didn't want no part of this, um, so many of us don't want no part of this. And yet, Father, you have brought us to a place of your mercy, a place of your grace. And yet, Lord, now you use us for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen. If you look at your outline, we're looking at a grouping of of scriptures, chapter 5 through chapter 12. And we're moving through what I call the confrontation. And because it's a confrontation on a whole bunch of different levels. All right, it starts out God confronting Moses with the burning bush. Okay, and we looked at this, it's been a few weeks now, but we looked at this and Moses, when confronted by what God was saying, I want you to do, he says, you know, I'm a nobody. And God says, yeah, I know that, but I'm a somebody. All right, and he says, you need to understand this, Moses, it ain't you, it's me. I'm going to use you. And then Moses' second reason for I don't want to do this is that I'm not a theologian. I I don't, you know, I don't know all that much. And God says, I know Moses, that's okay, but I am a theologian. All right? And I will give you what is to be said. Well, but I'm not gifted in speaking. I'm not convincing. God says, Moses, I said I was with you. I am convincing. I will do this work. Then Moses' response to God was, I ain't a preacher. I haven't been called to do this. Moses, I am with you. I will give you the audience and I will give you the words. Then you see the last excuse that we use is that I'm really not interested. And it said that God's anger stirred against Moses. But Moses went. Okay, so those are the excuses we use today. And here he's going back to Egypt. Please don't fall into the... uh, What's that guy's name? The movie, the Ten Commandments guy. Yeah, Charlton Heston. That ain't true. Okay, or the cartoon... That ain't true. Moses left Egypt because they were going to kill him. All right? He didn't leave because, well, I'll just get him out of... No, he left because Pharaoh was going to kill him. All right? And that's, that's motive. All right? So when he left, so now he's going back. All right? So you need to understand that. He's going back to a group of people who, you know, he's been gone for 40 years. Maybe they've changed a little bit. and his, Maybe his beard got a little different color. Maybe they won't recognize me. All right. But he's going back because that's what God says. So here we see it in chapter seven. Then Yahweh, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the text in the Hebrew is Yahweh. Now, Yahweh says to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Okay. You shall have authority and your brother will speak forth too. You shall speak what all I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh 
that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. See, God has already made a promise to Israel. I will give you a land, a land of the Canaanites, and I'm going to take you there. They've been in Egypt now for 400 years. They've kind of lingered a little long. All right, Joseph was there. He had prepared a way for him. The people had seen what the, the, the blessings of having the Hebrew people are there, but the Hebrew people were flourishing and flourishing and flourishing and flourishing and flourishing. And the Egyptian people are thinking, wait a minute. This is going to get goofy. So they got a little strange here. It says, you speak. Then here's God. This is Yahweh speaking to Moses. And here's an interesting statement in verse 3. Very fascinating statement. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Wait a minute. I thought you wanted me to go get the people out of Egypt. Wouldn't it be easier if you softened Pharaoh's heart? Right? That's how I'd have done it. I'll soften his heart. No. I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Do you know that since the Exodus, Egypt has never been a world power? Did you know that? They were a world power. Well, the Hebrew children were among them. After the Exodus... You never see him as a major player. Don't you find that fascinating? I think that's fascinating. Anyway, I will harden Pharaoh so the work that I'm going to do, who gets credit for? God, Yahweh gets credit for. Yahweh gets credit for it. All right. When Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the lands of Egypt by great judgment. Now, I want you to look at that verse four, because verse four, he's already mentioned it in chapter six, verse 26. He says, you need to understand this. This is my people. You need to understand, this is my host. This is, and the word host there means it's my army. This is my army. Why? I'm going to take my army and I'm going to run the Canaanites out of the land of Canaan. All right? That's good stuff right there. And I'm going to put my hand on Egypt and guess what? They're going to be great judgments. The Egyptians, chapter, or verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Right, this is, we just sang a song there. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Absolutely. It's coming. That's not universal salvation. Please understand that. It's saying that it's coming to a point where, you know what? I don't care who you are. I don't care what your beliefs are. You will acknowledge me. You're going to be bummed out about it. Some of you. And you know what's fascinating about that verse right there is that some people, some of the Egyptians realize... What's going on? In chapter 9, verse 20, at the seventh plague, a bunch of the Egyptians realize that the Hebrews have the real God. But you also see in chapter 12, verse 38, that even in the wilderness, when they cross the Red Sea and they're out there, there are a bunch of Egyptians with them. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt... And bring out the sons of Israel in their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it. Moses and Aaron did it. And then look at the next phrase. We, we, we struggle with that in this country. Yahweh commanded. They did as Yahweh commanded. 
we have our freedom, we have our rights, we have this. We don't pay attention to the Yahweh has commanded. And they did. Now here's a fascinating thing. Verse 7 says that he was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old. That's amazing to me. I remember when I was, first sermon I ever preached, he brought me forth and said, here you go, dude, I'm going to throw you to the wolves. And um, I had been told that for people to come to true salvation, you had to get them before they were 70 years old. And I said, really? And, I, you know, and I, I was young, naive. Really? He said, yeah, because after that, they're kind of setting their ways. They've kind of got a, the old dog new trick things and all the rest of this. So I preached my first sermon, and it was a nasty sermon. I had people actually use profanity to me, greeting me after preaching it. You'd have thought I'd have been smart enough to stop then. But I'll never forget it because I, I did the Southern Baptist thing. You're supposed to be an altar call. So, okay, come on up. That ain't really what the text dealt with, but that's what you're supposed to do. So I did it. And this 86-year-old woman, Lydia, came forward and she says, I never understood that. And you made it so clear. And she was crying and she says, in all my life I have deceived myself that I was saved because I attended a Baptist church. She came to salvation. She died about a month later. She was in... uh, I don't remember if she was in the nursing home up there at Silver Heights or if she was over here at Cantrell House, but she came to church every Sunday. I'll never forget that woman. My first, I should have stopped then. <laughs> one sermon, one soul, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's batting a thousand. Leave it at that. But uh, I'll never forget that because here it says Moses was 80 years old and he is often rocking and rolling. He's going to Pharaoh's house and he's going to stir it up. Now Yahweh said, verse Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, now this is fascinating stuff. You think about it. This is a, this is God telling Moses, this is what's going to happen right down to the jot and the tittle. And he says, now listen, you're going to go talk to him and, and Pharaoh's going to say, do a trick. Prove to me that deity has sent you basically. You know what? You see that today. There's a big movement in the church today that says, show me some experience that I know God sent you. Uh, you read the book of Revelation? That dude at the end of the book of Revelation, he's doing tricks. God didn't send him. Be real careful about that. But here's what he said. When Pharaoh speaks to you, work a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a snake, a serpent. Cool. I wish I had a stick that did that. All right. Throw it down there. Now, listen, in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, God showed Moses the staff. Take your staff. This is what you're going to do with it. Chapter 4, verses 30 and 31. Moses for Israel. He'd had what? A staff with him. And here you see it. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. Thus they did just as Yahweh commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down and Pharaoh and his servants. And it became a snake. A serpent. Okay. That obedience, man. Turn your stick into a snake. All right. 
This is what you need to pay attention to. Watch what he does next. Pharaoh calls the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, and they did the same thing with their secret arts. This is witchcraft. This is the occult. It is very well documented in the history of Egypt that they had magicians that did tricks, wise men, sorcerers. All right, the word sorcerer there that you see in verse 11, in the Hebrew means to offer prayers. Okay, they offered prayers. Uh, There's a lot of documentation in the Egyptian history on the charming of snakes. You know, making them do the thing with the... Do you remember the old Abbott and Costello movies where they play the flute and the snake would come up? Abbott and Costello. Who is that? Never mind. We'll move on. Okay. That was back when movies were movies. Um, you didn't go to the movie for the special effects. You went for the silliness. All right. Anyway, it was back in the day. We had, I know two of these guys' names, these magicians. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 says there was Janus and Jambres. Okay? And they were doing it through the power of Satan. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. So he talks about this very moment. He gives two names. Okay? They had incantations. They had secret arts. They, did, they made their sticks turn into snakes. Okay, now I want you to understand something. This is not one of the plagues. This is Moses showing Pharaoh and Pharaoh's counselors... That, hey, Yahweh has sent us. Okay? Secret arts. You see it again in verse 22. They're secret arts. See it in chapter 8, verse 7. Um, But I I, want to just kind of get ahead of you a little bit because there's just one of these things that I like to do. You see Pharaoh going to his magicians, his wise men. Okay? But I want to show you one that is interesting. We have plagues coming. Okay? Ten plagues coming. All right? Ten judgments are coming. Uh, if you go over quickly to verse or chapter 8, verses 18 and 19, I wanted to show you something here. This is that secret arts thing again. He says in verse 18, the magicians tried their secret arts. Okay, stop right there. Again, what were they trying to do? Well, look at verse 17. It's kind of a a cool little trick. This is better than the snake and stick thing. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff. He struck dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. Okay, you know what that is? That is a creation event. It literally means lice. Okay? And he struck dust and he created. Right? Watch what happens. Verse 18, the magicians tried their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. Look what verse 19 says. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is 
the finger of God. The Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to Yahweh. Okay? The magician said, you know what? I can't do that. I can't do that. And I, and I, you, well, what's the big deal? Well, I'll show you a big deal. All right, here's what happens. They threw down their staff. They turned into serpents. And then here's what's really cool. Verse 12, back to chapter 7. Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. My snake ate your snake. <laughs> I like that. I just, I don't know. That's just my warped sense of humor. I know Abbott and Costello. But anyway, I just think that's good that, you know what? They're magi- magicians. Now listen, these guys are operating under the power of Satan. All right? And understand, remember what he says, I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that when you're pulled out, there's no doubt in anybody's mind what's going down. See, he could have softened Pharaoh's heart with just a stick in the snake trick. They'd all just marched out. But he will show his power. He will show his glory. He will show his judgment. And he will do it in a way that there's no other reasoning behind it. Too much that I see in the church today man's taking credit for. Now he won't do it. But what they're doing is nothing but marketing. I don't like that. Because God does things that there's no doubt in your mind God did that. And that's what we have to pay attention to. There's a lot of stuff that happens that we take credit for. And that's what he's saying here. Please hear me, hear that. Because he says he threw it down and he says, I want them to know that I sent you. Now watch what happens. Then Yahweh says, verse 14, Yahweh says, to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Now, this happens three times. Three times he does this. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take your hand and staff and turn Uh, which has turned into a a serpent. So take your stick with you, Moses, and to go meet him. Now, probably what this is, you know, I've heard people try to say, well, Pharaoh's going out and take a bath. I doubt it. It was probably more a religious ceremony, a cleansing ceremony for the beginning of his day. Why? Because he had a bathtub. Sorry. And why go down to the river if you got a tub? All right, but anyway... We see this here, and he's setting the stage in verse 14 through chapter 10, verse 29, is what is called the ten plagues. And I will go through each of these as we go, and I will show you what man tries to say it is, um, and yet I believe that it's all miraculous. I believe it is divine intervention. Why? Well, let me show you something. A lot of people will try to say, well, these plagues are natural occurrences, just things that happen. And, you know, they're normal. Let me show you, for instance, here. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, station yourself by the river, and you will say to him, verse 16, Yahweh, God of the Hebrews, sent me to say to you, let my people go. You know, he's going to get tired of hearing that one. But 
that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened. Thus says Yahweh, by this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with a staff of in <clears throat> that is in my hand, and it shall be turned to blood. Now stop right there. A lot of people, scientists say, well, in Egypt, along the Nile, okay, there is this red clay, and occasionally with when you would get these rains outside of the Nile regions, they're going to hit the streams, this red clay is going to slide into it, it's going to come in, it's going to hit the Nile, it's going to turn it red, it's going to have a reddish color to it, and that's what happened. Well, you know what, if that's happened, that's kind of cool because Moses specifically predicted when it was going to happen. But there is one flaw with that. Okay, here's the flaw. The Hebrew word there says it turned to blood. Okay, it didn't turn red. It turned to blood. Here's the other problem that happens. It would have run down. They say that you could get these rains up in the highlands and it would run down through the streams and all this red. And Moses was specifically new. Well, it's going to happen like tomorrow at noon. Okay. But here's one of the problems that you have with this. The Hebrew language here says it turned to blood. And then if you look down at verse 19, look at the end of verse 19. This is where it's going to get confusing. It's going to get difficult. Because it says both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. You know what that means? The water that was in their buckets... Turn to blood too. Okay, whether it was a wood bucket or a stone container, it turned the same color red. How'd you do that? It didn't. Again, the Hebrew word says it turned to blood. It turned to blood. Okay, well, what does that mean? It turned to blood. But it. Blood. Why did the fish die? They can't breathe blood. Well, I couldn't. Fine. Then you don't believe the Bible. Here's what it says. Verse 18. The fish that are in the Nile will die. They did. And the Nile will become foul. And the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. God, I guess so. Verse 19. Then Yahweh says to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff, stretch it out over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their streams, over their pools. You know what that means, right? Even Pharaoh's bathtub. Okay, that's the pools. All right. Over their reservoirs. That they may become blood. Not red colored. They will be blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Okay, even your buckets won't have good water. Moses and did even as the Lord Yahweh had commanded. He lifted up his staff, struck the water as it was in the Nile and the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. Okay. Fish that were in the Nile died and the Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink the water of the Nile. 
And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. Stop right there. Listen. The last thing you need, the last thing you don't need in Egypt is no drinking water. Okay? I mean, and it ain't going to take you long to say, oh, this is going to be a bummer. All right? And yet, what was Pharaoh's response? Now, remember, Pharaoh's there, and it says that he had his service with him. This was why I believe it was a ritual thing that he was doing, cleansing himself for the day's work or whatever. Okay? Look what happens in verse 22. The magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. There's that magic stuff. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had said. All right, so what happens in verse 22 is that evidently the magicians turned small amounts or small pockets of this water back. Well, how did he do that? Look at verse 24. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water from the Nile. All of their fresh water, all right, was polluted, even the water they had in their buckets. So they had to do what? Dig wells. So they went into groundwater and what did they get? They got some waters. So the magicians did a trick, got them a little water. Pharaoh's heart says, there ain't nothing to this. All the fish are dying. Okay, but do you see how silly that mankind can be? So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Key here. Man tried to figure out how to fix it. Instead of listening to what was God saying. What was God saying? Let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, I ain't going to do it. You do a magic trick, I do a magic trick. Verse 25. Seven days passed. After Yahweh had struck the Nile. Seven days, a reprieve allowed the blood to flow. Okay? But he's setting a precedence. He's setting a precedence. Here's the precedence I want you to think about God already told Moses and Aaron exactly what was going to happen. To detail. I mean, detail. You're going you're gonna to do this. And Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. Now, you, you think about that and you think, well, yeah, but that's just, that's the stubbornness, the stick nip. No, 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 no. When was the first time that God told Moses Pharaoh wouldn't listen? Burning bush. Pharaoh ain't going to listen. You know what's amazing? I've been doing some reading through the Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah. Uh, and it's some fascinating stuff in, in those texts. Why? Both men were prophets of God, correct? Sent forth to tell Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes, you need to change. Okay? Fascinating thing in those two texts, those two uh, letters. 
God told both men, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, go and teach and know this, they will not hear. And Ezekiel is very specific about it. (laughs) Very specific about it. He says, they will want to hear you, Ezekiel. They will draw crowds to hear you. And they will not do what you say. That's fascinating. Why? Same thing's going on here. I will tell you what you will, your response will be. I find that fascinating in chapter 8. The magician says, finger Yahweh is with these people. God's doing this. We can't do this. I can't make dust turn into a, a living creature. We can't do it. All right? There's a lot of counterfeiting that happens. All right? A lot of counterfeiting. You're fighting an adversary who counterfeits everything God does. Everything. And he's always done it that way. He started it out in the garden. Remember that text? Has God said? Oh, no. If you eat of this, you will know as God knows. You will not surely die. He counterfeits all of it. All the way down the line. All the way down the line. He can't counterfeit creation. He's trying. We call it evolution. Well, this is a cataclysmic event and, and here we all are. Really? That takes a lot more faith than what I believe. You blew something up and we came out of it. Perfect. Why didn't I think of that? All right? And people think I'm a man of faith. Way more faith. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? The deception is always there, and yet God will let it go to the point because He says, you know what? When I'm done with this, there's going to be no doubt in anybody's mind how this worked. Think about it. Salvation. How many people do you see today who are working for their salvation? God says, you couldn't do this. I give you instructions on how to do this. You can't do it. Why? I gave you the instructions because I wanted to prove to you, you can't do it. Why? Because when I save you, there's no doubt in anybody's mind. That's what I taught when I was in Russia just last week. Salvation isn't some mystical thing. It's real. And it is radical. And if it ain't radical, it ain't real. You're not sort of saved. Or you're not in the process of getting saved. You are either saved or you're not. You're either a saint or an ain't. It isn't sort of. When the Apostle Paul was cruising up to the road to Damascus, everybody knew where he stood. When he came back from Damascus, everybody said, Paul has changed. Peter would not even admit that he knew Christ three times. Holy Spirit came upon him. He went right into the very people who had crucified Christ and says, You are murderers. Why? Because God takes it to the place where nobody else gets credit. You can't touch his glory. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart and he brings brings ten plagues upon them because he proves 
I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Let me tell you something. God is not changing. He still acts that way. He still does it that way. Please, my brothers and my sisters, you bring nothing to the table. And God says, I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. I did it with an 80-year-old who really wasn't interested. And God got a little angry with him. And he says, I probably better do this. And that's the way we are today. That's the way we are today. God doesn't say, I want you to be a theologian. God doesn't say, I need you to be a preacher. God doesn't say, I need you to have a talented, speaking, convincing, confident way about you. God says, I go before you. Period. People ask me when I was leaving again for Russia, well, how can we pray? One thing. The only thing I ever ask anybody to pray for me. God goes before me. It's all I need. Why? Because I win when I'm following him. Nothing has changed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses and Aaron. And Father, I am so, so overwhelmed at what you do. Lord, may we who are called by your name, Father, your people, you who purchased us, Father, may we walk in a manner worthy of this high calling. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that as we can look at Moses and see the amazing things that you did, that, Father, we are a part of that. Father, let us rejoice at the amazing things that you do. And Father, I give you the praise, even now. Father, we have the victory. And let us rest in that assurance to your glory. In your glory alone, amen.